Well, good morning. It's fun to be home. Uh, this church uh, molded me, made me who I am. And uh, a lot of these people over here that call themselves uh, executive pastors and missions pastors are the ones that, that taught me how to do what I do now. Um, a lot of what we do in Africa is because they moved this lady across the hall from Tennessee or Georgia or North Carolina or somewhere over there in those states. And uh, she taught me that uh, to really do missions, you have to do, and you guys know what that is because you've experienced it. Do you guys still sleep in South Dallas on the ground? And No, not, not, that's dangerous now? Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, that was back when we were both youth pastors um, doing wrong things, right? Well, it's good to be here this morning. And uh, Carrie and my daughter, Sydney, are not able to be with us. They're in Arkansas spending time with her mom. And there's a long-haired hippie guy walking around here somewhere. Uh, Reagan is, is, I think he's going to be here this morning. Um, you know, when we moved uh, to Coppell and, we, and we, we, moved, we moved in our house, Carrie made this sign. And uh, it, was, it was a cookie sheet painted with black paint and with chalk. She, had, she wrote on it, we can do hard things. And uh, when I was here, it... To be honest, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, you know, I, I, I remember one of the things we did when we first got here was we had one of those little trailers that you put behind a bike. And uh, we got on, on a bike every evening on our bikes, put the kids in the trailer, rolled by Kroger, picked up a, uh, a gallon of Bluebell ice cream, and went to someone's house on our youth list, knocked on the door, and we're like, we're here. And... Uh, We'd, we'd eat ice cream and tell stories and get to know them. Uh, I didn't bring a gallon of ice cream today, but my hope is, is that as, as I speak, you're able to get to know me and hear my heart. And so anyways, we, we, we took that sign when we decided we were headed to Kenya and we packed it in a suitcase. And when we got there to Nairobi, she put it at the front door. And when we were when we began to string together some days and some weeks and some months, that saying, we can do hard things, kind of began to take root. And then four years ago, almost to the day, when we moved back here to Dallas, it was the last thing to go in the suitcase. And we moved back here to kind of love on aging parents and give our kids, well, to be honest, to make our kids not those weird missionary kids walking across university campuses with no shoes on. Um, anyways, <laughs> we can do hard things has really become our family ethos. See, the Stickney household this past few, this last season has kind of been the looking back and looking forward. Uh, both Sydney and Ray are headed off to university. And so we've been looking at pictures of this place with kindergarten and preschool. We've got pictures of uh, middle school elementary and middle school that have more of an African theme to it, a lot of uh, airports and things in the way. And then the high school pictures are absolutely hilarious as we put our kids through the cultural experience that we call the United States of America High School. Now, I've been told it's not natural by some people uh, to want your kids to stay with you for forever. 
Um, I currently believe those people are completely wrong, um, but I'm really dreading August 27th. At about 5.45 p.m., a Southwest flight is going to push back from a gate at Reagan International Airport. It's going to climb to about 35,000 feet. And when it does, both of my kids will be settled in university, one in Marshall, Texas, and one in our nation's capital. And what I want will cease to happen. What I want my home to be will cease to happen. The two characters in my story that have been central to it will stop writing my chapters that include me and they'll start writing chapters that that I'm not even present except the visa bill. And uh, (laughs) I'm aware that I knew Carrie before I knew them and she promised that she would be my best friend and that she would never leave me. But I am, I, I know for sure, without a doubt, she will not sit with me on that flight from DC to Dallas because I will be crying more than I cry at Hallmark movies, um, for sure. So to be honest, I'm not really ready for the next hard thing in my life. I don't know what you guys are facing, but you might be the same way. At ACO, uh, we're in the middle of a growth pattern. We've been in a growth pattern for the past 15 years. Uh, When we left you guys here, we joined a staff and a half on two campuses in one country. Uh, This morning, as I share to you, 56 staff will put their children to sleep and turn off the lights. In the morning, they'll wake up and walk out of their house so that they can lead six ministries across 10 African countries. This week, we anticipate another baby boy being born at our New Beginnings Crisis Pregnancy Center in Eldoret, Kenya. The staff on the Kenya coast at our Pomoja house, which means together in Swahili, that's the, the, the community center sits strategically in the dead center of, of an Islamic neighborhood. And a short walk away is a university, and in that, on that campus, we equip students, and they learn to invest with their skills, their gifts, and their knowledge at that center. Our staff in Kibera, the largest slum on the African continent, there's a million people in one square mile. Manhattan has 73,000 people per square mile. Anyways, they'll continue to reach the least of these as they work with parents and children that struggle. In the next few days, 10 students will leave on a trip. They'll start on a tarmac road, it'll turn into a dirt road, and eventually it'll turn into a camel path. And their hope is that they can share the gospel to people that have never heard it in northern Kenya. ACO's online ministry called Kuza, which is Digital Discipleship, will have over a million hits, listens, and views this week. And our youth pastors that are part of our 412 team that work in the rural parts of Ethiopia, Kenya, Malawi, Zambia, and Tanzania have ongoing youth camps this week and next week. And that's what I know. Uh, Tomorrow morning at an early unmentionable hour, 
while Jesus is still asleep. I'll join our leadership staff on a Zoom call and I'll find out who's going where and what staff is doing what and these people doing this and those people doing that and it'll make me wonder if I should write a book or buy a hook or if I need a nook so that I can get a hook book cookbook. <laughs> Needless to say, we can do hard things as a sign that I've got to carry with me everywhere I go. And outside of my little world, well, I, I think our planet has a few hard things going on. What I navigated as a teenager, I believe my two college kids navigated somewhere during kindergarten nap time. And so I'm not sure where you are today. I don't know where you are in your heart, in your soul, and in your mind. But it seems like we can do hard things as more of a battle cry today than it is an encouragement as I walk out my front door. I've got to be honest, when I was uh, asked to preach, John called and um, I didn't pay attention to the other part of, hey, can you preach? I didn't get the, what am I supposed to preach on? And uh, I don't know if this is a really good idea that the first guest speaker is here after Pastor America has gone to be savior of Baylor Nation. Um, <laughs> but needless to say, uh, I didn't pay attention. But as any good former youth pastor worth his salt would do, and with the opportunity to make an executive pastor completely squirm in his pew, uh, we're just going to wing it this morning. So I sent some people some stuff, and we'll get to it eventually. Um, you need to know this about me. Uh, I, uh, when, when I preach, um, when I talk, when, when anything I do, I have a very dry and strange sense of humor. Uh, if, if you do know me, I need to remind you that I have a very dry and strange sense of humor. Nine times out of ten, I'm, I'm telling a joke, and the tenth time I'm attempting humor, so stick with me. And while I'm letting you know a little bit about me, I, I need you to know that I love to tell stories. My dad told stories, my grandfather told stories, my godfather, all of them are great storytellers. Jesus told stories. So if Jesus is wrong, I don't want to be right. So we're going to tell some stories this morning. Each summer when Larry would take off, I would meet with him beforehand and I begged and begged him, Larry, would you please, for the love of all things sacred, come up back with a preaching series on the biblical truths found in Dr. Seuss. And so here's what I assumed when John called and asked me to preach. I believe he was asking me to pick up that dropped treasure. <laughs> and so this morning... We're going to spend some time in my favorite picture book with few words. You know, I can remember, speaking of stories, I can remember uh, when I was interviewing for the Minister of Students job. Uh, students, it was on what we used to call in the business world a landline. Um, it was called a landline because Alexander Graham Bell created this thing, an apparatus that he wanted people to communicate with back and forth. 
And so it, it, it's a landline because there's a receiver that's attached to a thing, and the thing is attached to the wall, all by cords. And if you were really cool, your parents got you like the extension extension cord, so you could be this far away instead of right near the phone. And so you might have seen this at your grandparents' house. You might have packed it in a box when you were cleaning out. The idea was the cord that was attached to the wall, on the other side of the wall, there were these cords that circumnavigated the universe. And you could communicate in spoken word to someone halfway across the world. In Africa, growing up as a kid, I used to get one call a year. And I got to talk to my parents on Christmas, my grandparents on Christmas Day. Crazy, right? They're there, they're on a cord, and the cord, never mind. <laughs> so, during that interview on the landline, I did something to tell enough of the truth, or at least stretch it, to begin this second part of the interview, which was this questionnaire. And on that questionnaire, uh, you know, it, it, it tested my knowledge enough that I could apply for astronaut college. And, and you know, no one's never, ever faulted VRBC for not being thorough. And so in this war and peace-like uh, interrogation questionnaire, there were, there were these, these questions. I mean, and the third easiest question after first name and last name was, what is your favorite book besides the Bible? Huh. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. <laughs> By our beloved Dr. Seuss. To this day, no deacon, no pastor on staff, and no one on the search committee followed up on that answer. <laughs> and so, congregation, did you ever fly a kite in bed? Did you ever walk with 10 cats on your head? Did you ever milk this kind of cow? Well, we can do it, we know how. If you never did, you should. These things are fun and fun is good. Unfortunately for you and me, Pastor John did not ask me about a tree. He <laughs> does not care, in fact, there is a stair. I guess we will not go there. <laughs> Yesterday I found an email and I was just reminded uh, and the, the short of it was you're supposed to, about to preach about this is me and share some verses, and so I scribbled a few things down. And I'd like to share three verses with you this morning. Verses that have caused heartache and frustration, uh, verses that have rerouted me, verses that have repositioned me, they've reframed me, and yet verses that have written a story of adventure and discovery that I never could have imagined. Matthew 22, 37 through 40 says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws of the prophets hang on these two commandments. The ESV version in verse 40 says, all the commandments depend on you know, these are the verses 
that helped me pen the pages of the manuscript that Carrie and I have been writing since we left 1501 East Beltline. And what I believe is, these are Jesus's we can do hard things sign that each of us needs to have at our front door as we walk into the world as followers of Christ. These verses have four things that really have stuck with me. First, that I must use the familiar, I must use the understood, I must use the baseline to communicate the truth. Second, to truly love God means to love people. And third, to love requires the whole of me. And fourth, that love is absolutely messy. I want to encourage you as you're going to listen to several speakers over the next six weeks. And little guys and girls in the room, this is a good practice. Anytime scripture is taught or it's read in front of a group, remember it, write it down, go home and read it again. Make sure it's in there. And the second thing you need to do is as you read it, make sure that you understand what's happening around it so that you understand the context. Don't trust blindly, especially guest speakers. <laughs> so I'm gonna do my best today to kind of catch us up in, in, in Matthew 21 and in Matthew 22, what's happening and before we get to these verses. And, uh, you know, it's, it's important also to be aware that in Matthew 21, what's happening is, is Jesus has made his triumphal entry. He's gone in and he's cleansed the temple. He said, this is going to be my house, and in my house there will be prayer. He's healed the sick, the lame, the marginalized, the forgotten. And in chapter 22, we catch up with him as he's locked in this predestined losing battle entangled with the brilliant minds, trained religiously at the time. And so Jesus is fully aware of what is happening. It says before it that he took off resolute, that he's about the business of loving the world. In a few days, he's going to be in the garden and he's going to plead with his father, can you please do this another way? Pain and anguish, the uncertainty of how and when are a part of Jesus' human nature. But his godliness knows that the certainty of his end is near. And so it's pressing in on Jesus. And here's what I took from that. When it's time to be right, when it's time to win, when it's time to prove his point, Jesus speaks from the overflow of his heart. Matthew 22 kicks off with this great story. It's the parable of the king uh, and his wedding feast. It's absolutely hilarious. Essentially, the king is having a wedding and uh, no one returns the Evite. Do you know what that's like? The king overreacts slightly. He murders everyone and burns down their houses. Now, this is not part of the scripture, but since I did go to cemetery and <laughs> since I am up here, it's my opinion 
that Queenie stepped in here and was like, hey, Kingy, uh, hey, next time you decide to do the hell and brimstone, could you run it by me first? Uh, men, just a side note here. Future husbands, husbands now, I have been trained by Carrie. Next time you think, uh, you know, I think I've got this. Next time you, you know, slightly misjudge the dismount. Next time brilliance tackles you right before the goal line. Don't try to fix it without female input. What the king does is exactly not that. He decides, you know what, we need people here at the wedding feast. So he does the next best thing. He sends his servants out to get more people. I mean, talk about trying to sell day-old manna to wandering Israelites. Hey, uh, king demolished everybody, but good news, now there's a feast and you're invited. (laughs) The story continues with Jesus. I mean, why didn't he stop there? But he, he continues with the story and he's like, and so these people come and they haven't been to the cotillion class offered by certain people at Valley Ranch Baptist Church. (laughs) And they're not dressed correctly. And the king can't find any diesel fuel, so he does the next best thing and he chunks them into the abyss. I'm not preaching on these uh, verses this morning, so I'm not gonna tell you what it means. Okay, I will, all right. Pretty much it's this. The Israelites were the chosen people. They didn't accept Jesus. They're part of diesel. Jesus says, you know, accept me. Some people choose to accept him. We know what happens. Other people don't because they think that righteousness is something that they can achieve on their own. And it's hot for a long time in eternity for them. Matthew 22 continues and and Jesus gives the wisdom of pay unto Caesar what is Caesar's and then he gives the unshakable truth that all dogs go to heaven. Okay, not really. What he does is they ask him, okay, if my, if, 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 if my wife, if I die and, I, and, and my brother marries my wife and then my brother dies and then my other brother marries my wife or his wife or our wife and then we all get to heaven, then whose wife is she? And these are Jesus' words, not mine. He says, there will be no cats in heaven. (laughs) Okay, disclaimer, that's the interpretation, my interpretation of the parable. Like I said, you need to go home each Sunday afternoon and fact check what the preacher preaches. But Disney did not call their movie, All Dogs and Cats Go to Heaven. And when has Disney ever been wrong? So... Do with it what you did. Carrie said a lot of people will be mad at me. We own a cat. It's just not going to be in heaven. (laughs) Anyways, I told you I like to tell stories. We run into the verses that we're talking about today, okay? We're going to land the plane. We're there. Some people still trust me. I need you to know that, okay? Let me recenter myself so I'm here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second Love your neighbor as yourself, because all the laws and prophets hang on these two commandments. These verses have taught me those those four things I mentioned before. First, 
as the, as the teachers of the law are trying to prove Jesus wrong, as they're trying to make him a hypocrite. Jesus uses what is known. Jesus uses what, is, what are the accepted rules and the laws of the time. He takes the five books of Moses, the Torah, and he speaks to them with those. Love the Lord your God is found in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Love your neighbor can be found in chapter, uh, the 19th chapter of Leviticus. If you want some easy reading this afternoon, check out Leviticus 19. <laughs> that first thing is, it, is what it tells me is this. I must speak to those who need God and who need love with an understanding that I want to understand them, their story, not to judge them. The second thing it tells me is that we really, if we, really, we really cannot love God and not love others. You know, Jesus wasn't suggesting you should really like God. Jesus wasn't saying, you know, pray those bargain prayers. God, if I love, then you will, yeah. Jesus wasn't telling me to look the part of someone that loves Jesus or loves God. Even though I must admit, there are days that I put on the uh, armor of judgment. Have you heard of these? The breastplate of what are you thinking? The sword of God smite them because I am right and better looking. The shield of because my Bible tells me so when I distort it to support my argument. No, the command is love. Love God plain and simply. Don't attach love to a bargaining chip. Don't attach love to make me look better. Don't attach love to make me win. I think it's said somewhere that we're supposed to delight in the law and meditate on that law day and night. And if we are like trees that are planted by streams of water that produce fruit, no matter who's arguing with us, who's winning or who's attacking us, we love God and so we love others. The third thing is, to love God requires all of me. Notice what is added in that first part, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the engaging, the core of who we are. All of our heart centers our emotions, all of our soul drives our actions, and all of our minds directs our thoughts. In other words, every aspect of my humanity is fully immersed, engaged in what God is doing, and my focus is outward instead of inward. And the, th the fourth is that love is going to be messy. It's not about me. It's not about comfort. Typically doesn't make sense on paper. Messy, messy uh, love holds up the potential of wrecking my entire weekend, my entire week, my entire world. As I said earlier, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what your world looks like. I don't know the reality that you walk back into when you walk out of here. What I do know is that my world needs love. And because of these two commandments, I am called as a follower of Christ to love. Where there is God, there is love. The message of the gospel that we take 
from here is that God wants to restore us, he wants to rebuild us, and he wants to revive us, and he does that with his love. And we, as his vessels, need to show that love to the world. You know, my my friends, the world is hurting, right? And it's because, you know, if someone doesn't pray like me, if someone doesn't worship like me, if someone doesn't even know what worship is, if they hate me because I'm who's standing in front of them at the moment, or their moment includes someone like me that told them that they were wrong, doesn't make them my enemy because they're loved by my God. And if I love my God, then I must love them. The Bible doesn't promise smooth and easy. My Bible drops Moses off in the sight of the promised land. He crucifies people who call him Lord and has young people mauled by bears for making fun of bald guys, which is really cool. What my Bible does tell me is is that love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Jesus stood there with his enemies that were building a case so they could hang him on a tree. And what did he do? He spoke out of the overflow of his heart and he spoke love. In Luke 10, when he's asked, but who is my neighbor? He responds with the story of the Good Samaritan. You see, what's transformed my life is this fact, that the law of my religion can never overtake the need for my love. Church, you and I can do hard things. Dr. King said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. You and I can do hard things. Because out there and in here, There's one fish, there's two fish. There's a red fish and there's a blue fish. There's a black fish and there's a blue fish. There's an old fish and there's a new fish. My friends, today is gone and today was fun. And tomorrow is another one. And every day from here to there, funny things are everywhere. God loves you. Be loved and be blessed. Would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you so much for the opportunity, Lord, to find your truth in the simple and yet so difficult part of loving you and loving others. Lord, I pray that as we go from here, Lord, I pray that as I walk into my week, that you would allow me to love God, take judgment away from me and allow me to see the people as you see them. I ask these things in your name. Amen.